And welcome to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. I'm your host, Sadia, and this is my mother, Ima. Hello, Ima. Hello, my little sweetness. Hey, so today's topic is going to be talking about childbirth and overpopulation. Um, <laughs> my, my mother has a very interesting story. I mean, thank God she gave birth to 10 wonderful children. Um, and she got a lot of flack for that, actually. Um, and it was, made great tax deductions. <laughs> I, it's, it's funny because back in the day, there was an issue where people felt that overpopulation was a real problem. Um, nowadays, it's not overpopulation. It's just baltoshkas. It's being wasteful is a real problem, which really is a real issue. You shouldn't be very wasteful. Um, but let's take it to the top. So, Ima, tell me, yes. tell me about the, the time you had your first child. Yes. Um, when I found out I was expecting your oldest sister, I wanted to think of a cute way to tell your father. In fact, this would be an interesting topic for people to, uh, you know, contact us and tell us all their funny stories about how, you know, women informed their husbands about their, uh, about their forthcoming first child. I'm sure there are a lot of cute stories about how, you know, women have done this. So what I did was I sat down at the typewriter and I typed out what looked like a very official letter. And I actually put our address on it and made it look like it actually came in the mail. And it read, Dear Rabbi Angster, your application to future fathers of future Lubavitcher Hasidim has been overwhelmingly accepted. We wish you a hearty mazel tov on the forthcoming birth of your Lubavitcher Hasid. Congratulations. Sign the Committee for the Preservation of Jewish Population. <laughs> That's and awesome. I pretended like it came in the mail. I said, I said, I said Here, this letter came for you today. And he looks good. What? I said, yeah. So he opened up the envelope, started reading it. <laughs> so what was his reaction? Oh, he was thrilled. That's we awesome. Were thrilled. We, were, we, were, we, were, we were both thrilled. We were, you know, we were, first of all, we were very grateful, very happy that Baruch Hashem, we were obviously able to have children, which is such a gift min hashamayim. I mean, I often said to your father, imagine, you know, that um, how can I know how lucky we are that we're able to have kids? I said, there are people that spend thousands of dollars on fertility clinics just to get one child. I said, we're very, very lucky that we can have kids. In fact, I always felt that if someone is healthy and can, you know, and if the doctors or the medical people confirm that, yeah, you've got the, you know, you're in good shape and you can have one kid after the other, be no problem. To use birth control is like a healthy person who walks well, purposely using crutches. And I've, I've heard of many situations where people will use birth control for years and years. And then when they want to have a child, finally have problems. And if you stop to think about it, if you take a machine, that's supposed to function in a certain way and you stuff it up so that it doesn't function the way it's supposed to function, what are you gonna do with it? What's gonna happen? It's gonna break. And so you're, you're, time, you're, huh? you're, you're saying that basically birth control might even cause infertility? Yeah, I, I don't have, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it did. I would not be a bit surprised. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me in the least. I mean, I know of cases in fact where, I don't know if birth control caused problems to these people but I, I know of people who the birth control was actually masking a fertility problem that they had so that they couldn't 
you know, get to it in time and do something about it because we're using birth control all that time instead of realizing, hey, you've got a problem. They thought it was the birth control working. No, it wasn't. They had a fertility problem. They didn't realize it. So that those cases I know for sure. But whether or not birth control can cause fertility problems, that would be, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if scientists looked into it and did studies and found that that was true. It would, it would not surprise me in the least. But um, I remember in the late 1970s, uh, the Lubavitcher records, this was before I was married, when I was single, there were, you know, there were Hasidim at the time who were using birth control for, you know, very important reasons, either medical or economic. And the Rebbe addressed this. The Rebbe said that he knows people, you know, are practicing family planning because of economic reasons. And he said, for his Hasidim, that's to stop. He said, he only wants his Hasidim to use birth control in only in the most serious of medical situations. And he says, that's for economic reasons, don't worry. And my mother always said this. My mother said that if you're, if people are worried about having, you know, limiting their children because of economic reasons, she said, don't worry. Every child is born with his or her own mazel. So don't worry. Your kid, whatever your kid is supposed to have materially, don't worry. Your kid will get, it'll be okay. Um, the Rebbe said at the time that the 6 million, this was, I think this had to be like 1976, 77. He said the 6 million lost in the Holocaust had yet to be replenished and that Mashiach could not come until all 6 million were replenished. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's that, that, that thing is, is it, it takes a lot of risk. A lot of people have a lot of fears. You know, money is something that's very scary to, to deal with, not having enough, not being able to support yourself or, or barely supporting yourself and your wife and maybe one kid or two and then having been told that to go ahead and have another it takes a real leap of faith because it's 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 very scary to go ahead and be in that financial situation and still be willing to do something like that oh, i agree i agree i agree totally with that and it, and it is a test of faith definitely it is a very a test of faith and a, and a test of conviction those two things mm -hmm. yes i will agree with that I mean, did you have any fears or frustrations when you were having us about the fact that there were too many in, in that sense? That like no, I didn't. Was... No, no, I, no, I didn't. Absolutely not. Because I, I saw, actually, I didn't. I felt, I felt this way. I felt that. Um, I guess this could be called fun, fundamentalist, but you know, I don't. Know, I just um, I didn't. I I had. Can I know? I just that was one area where I had a lot of faith. And that I just had, I knew instinctively somehow that it would be okay. In fact, I was happy. I was very, very happy to be able to be healthy and to have a lot of kids. And um, I enjoyed every single one of you. I was excited and happy with every single one of you. And, and things worked out. And look how great you turned out. You cannot well, argue with that. No, I can't argue. <laughs> But did you get any like dirty looks or or? Oh, you bet, man! Whoa, I felt like I was doing a one-woman battle against the world. Don't ask. First of all, when we gave birth to your oldest sister, um, 
it was the heyday of the zero population people. And your father and I went to Baltimore Museum of Art. We love, we love art galleries and museums. And the looks that we got from people that we were carrying a baby, how dare us. Wow. And to make matters worse, we were in a situation where um, we weren't getting on with our landlord very well. And he gave us an ultimate, he basically, when our lease was up, he wanted us out. So we had to scramble and try to find another apartment. We didn't feel we were ready to buy a house yet. We called, I went down a list of 10 apartment houses in the Park Heights area, none of which would let us rent because we had a child. That's funny. And uh, it was horrible. In fact, it got to the point eventually where the Maryland State Legislature actually had to step in and pass laws restricting apartments that, um, you know, from doing this, because you had so many people with families that couldn't find housing. It was getting that bad. Well, but in our case, it worked out better because um, that's when uh, your grandfather founded that house for us on Glendale and um, bless his heart, bought it for us. Awesome. Yeah. And that's where we raised all you kids. Yeah, because I mean, I remember growing up with, with, with all my siblings and it was very crowded, but I never felt like it was crowded. I never felt like it was such a problem. I guess when you're, when you're born into it, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that much of an issue. It's kind um, of fun. It, I'll tell you, it, it, um, it encouraged you children to be very creative. You really did. I mean, you guys, one time your older brother, Yehuda, made a comment to me because he had a couple jobs where he had to work with, where he worked with children from extremely, extremely filthy rich families. And he said to me, Ema, the way we were raised was excellent. We knew that life is not a joke. We knew we had to take life seriously. We knew a dollar meant something. And that if we really wanted something that you and Tati couldn't give us everything we wanted. So therefore we had to go out and earn the money and get it ourselves. And he yeah. said, when he worked with some of these spoiled rich kids, he said they really had no idea about how to really be independent and creative and do for themselves. It was a real problem with many of them. Yeah, I mean, like we, me and me and Yosef, we 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 got together. We would find out ways to make money. Um, I mean, I sold some of my lunch, some of my lunches to people. Like, <laughs> uh, and then eventually, like, saved up all that money and whatnot, and we we paid, we were able to get a hold of uh, money for a Game Boy. Um, now, now it's all it's 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 depends on who you ask. I thought that like. You know, we raised we raised money, but I was more of like I raised more money. Yes, who played, he raised more. Then he went ahead, and then we we had this whole thing about like, you know, who got to go out and play with the Game Boy, and I took control of the Game Boy, and I had the whole <laughs> thing about you know whatever. Point was was that we learned a lot about about monetary gains and losses. For sure. <laughs> maybe that's why I that's what maybe that's why a couple of, well one of your sisters is a CPA and the other one is studying to be a CPA. <laughs> Yeah, no, you learn, you learn that, well, I mean, when you grow up, 
when you grow up with you not having everything, you really pay attention to like what really matters and but what you really want. And a lot of times it's more of like I, I realize like, you know, if, if I had more money, this would happen, that would happen. Well, I remember like when I was doing my one woman battle against the world, people making comments to me about why are you having all those kids? So I would come up with something smart, like um, like there's the old there's the old Rabbi Friedman line. What does your wife do? She runs a home for unwanted Jewish children. <laughs> Nobody else wants them. Then there was uh, the line I came up with was, well, I wanted to start a daycare and couldn't find customers. I created my own. Or the other one, oh, they make great tax deductions. That's cute. <laughs> yeah. That's cute. It's just well, it's it's. I find it so frustrating when when I see people that get like that, where they worry about overpopulation because um, National Geographic's uh, a couple of good years ago, I think when, when the world was about to reach 7 billion people, I think, and there were people were still a little bit shaky about overpopulation. They said, if you took 7 billion people and gave them six feet of dancing distance, it would only fill up the entire downtown Los Angeles. And that'd be yeah. it. Mm -hmm. That's why, did, did we already discuss the, um, the article that I read about the demographer because we were discussing that before the show. Did we discuss no. that on the show yet? I don't, I don't think, think so. Touched that yet. No. Okay. Um, I remember around 1985 there was an article. I think it appeared, if I'm not mistaken, in Wall Street Journal, and it only appeared once. And it's a pity that this article wasn't given more attention at the time. It was written by a professional demographer, and he was urging people in this article. Do not pay any attention to the zero population people. He says, on the contrary, he was urging people to have as many children as they possibly could. And he said his reasons for this, his reasons for this was, he says, we, first of all, he took issue with the zero population people as far as their, as far as their scientific so-called statistics were concerned. He says he felt they were flawed, first of all. Secondly, as a demographer, he says, we are living in an age where every major industrialized nation now has a nuclear bomb. He says one nuclear war could wipe out the majority of the world population and the only thing that could save us from such a Holocaust would be a tremendous world population. He also said that the zero population people are only looking at what went on like in their little era of the, of the seven of like the seventies when this whole thing started, he says they're not looking into the future. He says we don't know what natural disasters, what epidemics, what you know. We're living at a time when one plane crash, one second, can kill hundreds of people. And this was before. And this was before two thousand two thousand. This was before not nine eleven. I mean, you saw nine eleven. Twenty minutes. 3,000 people killed in just 20 minutes. And what, what can I say? I, th I think the man had a point that should have been given more, a little more attention at the time. Well, they, it's funny that you mentioned that because I kind of, I kind of give this story that it comes from the Gemara um, about, I think there was a rabbi that was walking. I think I, I've said this story before on the show. Um, but the main point I was trying to make was that something that's very important doesn't always get the right attention. You might want to pay it, and 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 I kind of have this thing where I pay attention to something that doesn't get that much attention. Things that people don't really pay attention to, they don't really notice, or they don't really care, or gets brushed under the under the rug. 
that's that's something you really have to take a look at. Be like, well, what is that? Well, what's going on? Mm. Well, why is that there? And it just it just it's really a happenstance. Nothing malicious or or like conspiracy theory wise. It's just just it's the way the of the world where it's like there's a really important stuff just goes unnoticed. Kind of why, why, why I'm the middle child. I understand what it means to have the most important thing go unnoticed and not think you're talking to. <laughs> Dig, dig, dig. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> just a little more, just a little more, a little more. Um, but yeah, no, it's just it's something that, like, I guess it's 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 very true there that I, I and I agree with you on this actually. Is that no? I think I think having children, you know, and raising them properly, you know, is very important. I think being able to handle raising them though is something that's very important. I think a lot of times. You get people that just have kids and they don't know how to take care of them, you know. And I don't want to, you know, I I, I don't want to be such a you know thorn in your side about this. Uh, but it's very important that a parent knows what they're doing. That's that's true too. But a lot of times, with you know, life in general is a learning experience. And I found, just like any other job, when you get on a job and you start a career you don't stay stagnant in that career. As time goes on, you learn more and more about your profession and you learn what the cult was called the tricks of the trade. You learn uh, what works in your profession. You learn what doesn't work in your profession and you sharpen, as time goes on, you sharpen your skills and no matter what profession you're involved in and life in general, life in general is like a profession. And as we go on in life, if we're smart, we will, take life's challenge to sharpen our skills. And the same thing is true of raising children. The way I raised your older brothers and sisters um, was not totally the way I raised the younger children because as I was getting older, first of all, as an older person, I developed more patience. And as a parent, I basically realized what worked and what didn't. So what worked and what didn't? Um, I would say what works best is behavior mod charts. I don't think, well, see, when I started raising your older brothers and sisters, I was still part of that generation where an occasional potch was considered good upbringing. Not God forbid, like my parents, it was, oh my gosh, my, my parents, like the European parents, I mean, I've seen European parents really wallop their kids. And I, I got beaten quite a bit because my parents were raised like you're, you're the old style European parents. But by the time I brought the kids around, I was still of the mentality of an occasional potch on the tush, you know, and the pediatrician felt the same way. You know what I mean? We were still part of that mindset. Then as I went, I said, you know, I, the negative punishment, negative reinforcement doesn't always work so well. What worked better, I found out, was an actual behavior mod chart in the kitchen, the kid's name, points, and they get a certain number of points, they get money, and they get to go to my favorite store, the dollar store, Mm -hmm. and buy what they want. And I found that worked a tremendous, tremendous amount much better. So positive reinforcement over negative reinforcement. Yeah. I, I felt, yeah, I became more, as, as you, like I said, as I went on in life, I, be, I became more positive oriented. And um, in general, also, I wasn't as, um, 
I wasn't as critical as my parents were. Um, you know, the kids would come, this was before the day of uniforms, before the Beziaco, you know, started to have uniforms. And, and when the girls would come down to get ready for school, I would always compliment them on um, what they chose to wear because your, your sisters can I know have very good taste in clothing, much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> and I always made it a point to compliment them on how good they looked. Whereas when I would come down <laughs> to practice, my mother would take a look at me up and down. She would put her hand over her heart and pretend to have a heart attack. <laughs> and I would say, mom, what's wrong? What's wrong? She goes, uh, 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 you know, the old, um, the old uh, Russian, uh, you know, over, over, you know, dramatics. The Russians and Ukrainians and Poles are very much into the dramatics. And, um, you know, I'd go, mom, what's wrong? Mom, what's wrong? And she would open up her eyes and go, your skirt's too short. Oh, God. <laughs> it's funny you have that, you have that, like, that your mother had the same problem, but you guys didn't grow up religious. No, <laughs> but you still grew up with Sneas, the laws of Sneas, though. Yeah, she was my mother. My mother was was pretty much into modesty. Yes, interesting. Except for the except for one thing, she she with the skirt had to be longer, but she did not mind sleeveless. And interesting. My, and in those days, in those days, like women, God used to wear these flowered sleeveless house dresses. And my poor mother was about 50 pounds overweight, mostly in the arms, <laughs> the sleeveless flowered house dress. I swore that when I got married and had my own household, I was never, ever, ever going to wear a house dress. And after 20 years of marriage, one day your father said to me, hey, you don't wear house dresses. You wear jean skirts and, you know, and tops. I said, you bet I don't. He just noticed that after 20 years. Because he remembered his mother with the flowered, sleeveless house dress and the fat arms. Fat, wobbly arms. Yes. That's funny. All right, Ed, we are out of time. So thank you so much, Emo, for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. And tune in next time to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. Thank you for listening to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. Please like and share and find us on Facebook at Jewish Boy Calls His Mother Podcast. We are looking forward to hearing from you.